If you'll open your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. We read Jesus going up the mountain and being transfigured upon it, and then Jesus coming down the mountain and having a conversation with his disciples along the way. Where we're picking up in verse 14 is what Jesus finds at the bottom of the mountain. Let's read. And one more note while we're reading. There's something that comes up again and again in this story and what Jesus finds. And what it ends up underlining is the necessity of faith. The need for faith. Talks about the unbelieving generation that he ends up seeing. He talks about the promises for he who believes in verse 23. He interacts with a man who says, I do believe. This, this constantly comes up. So be on the lookout for that. Just the word faith or believe as we're reading this. This is the holy and errant word of God. And when the disciples came, or when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately... All the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? And how long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, Immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, 
why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Kind of constantly struck as we go through scripture that no matter how familiar I am with the Bible, how strange it still sounds to my ears, different parts of it. That Jesus comes down and he finds his disciples in the midst of an argument with the scribes, which that's not really too surprising. But what they're arguing about really is surprising. And Jesus uses this situation to teach his his disciples a very valuable lesson. Ending off in that last verse in verse 29, saying that this cannot come out with anything but prayer. You see, when disciples, when Jesus, with those four group of disciples, his inner circle is coming down from the mountain, what he ends up confronting is he has those nine disciples who were left behind, who were not brought up the mountain with him. Disciples who were given a very clear task in Mark chapter 6. They were given the authority, the authority of Jesus, to cast out demons. Which makes it pretty odd, the situation that they find themselves in. And what Jesus is going to teach them is something that they've already, we've seen them need. That what they need is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to be instructed about the importance of faith, the nature of faith, its absolute necessity. And nothing can be more pertinent to us too. Just talking this morning about how often we find ourselves trusting in other things besides Jesus to be reconciled to God to be living our life in a way that's pleasing to him. We trust in the fact that we have maybe church membership at a particular community. And we say, well, I'm good because I've always went to church. Or maybe you've started your New Year's resolution of reading your Bible every morning. And you say, oh, I really trust in that. I've read my Bible really consistently. That's where my faith lies. You see, what Jesus talks and teaches his disciples is not just the necessity of faith in the abstract, but the necessity that they have to have, which is faith in him. We've already seen the disciples questioning Jesus so many times since really the beginning of Mark. And lastly, they've just had a lot of struggle understanding and believing that the Messiah, the King of Kings, who had revealed himself to them, and especially to that inner circle who just saw Jesus' divine glory, they had a real hard time believing his words that he had to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And that's what he's going to end up teaching his disciples. And we see really here the outline for the sermon, looking at the faith. We get to see it kind of in the, the form of three different conversations that are going on. We get to see the faith of the scribes and his conversation with them, or really lack thereof. That Jesus then has a conversation with a father who is in desperate need. 
And then lastly, we'll look at that kind of wrap-up conversation that he has with his disciples and the faith that it reveals. So let's look down at verse 14, that Jesus is coming down from the mountain and what he's greeted by after having a discussion where his disciples are not are having trouble believing his words is he sees a little crowd that's formed. And by little, I mean a great crowd that is formed around those nine remaining disciples. And just like any fight that might go on, if there's a fight that's broken out, a crowd all of a sudden forms around it to see what's going on, to see who's going to win this. And who this, the, the people of this fight is the disciples and the scribes who are arguing. And Jesus comes to them and confronts them directly in verse 16 saying, what are you arguing about with them? And did you notice that the disciples didn't answer Jesus's question? And we know why. Because it was probably shame that they weren't able to cast out the demon. And the scribes also don't answer him. Jesus is breaking up this fight that's going on between the disciples and the scribes and the religious experts, if you will. And neither one of them will talk. So then we hear this voice coming from the side, coming from the midst of the crowd, who tells us exactly what's going on. He says, someone from the crowd answered him. Teacher, verse 17, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And we end up seeing that it ends up doing a lot more than just making him mute. Ends up trying to kill him, throwing him down, foaming at the mouth, that he becomes stiff and rigid. What we see here, if you look at those terms, that he's all of a sudden seizing up, becoming almost stiff, paralyzed, if you will. If you have a different translation, it might say paralyzed. Him foaming at the mouth. These are all signs that we would now label as epilepsy. That he's having an epileptic seizure of sorts. And I think at this point, it's also helpful just to clarify that when we look at the different demonic possessions that are happening in the New Testament, sometimes they do cause some sort of disease, some sort of physical manifestation, whether it's blindness, deafness, or here, an epileptic seizure. But other times, such as the man Legion, that demon was not necessarily connected to a physical, obvious manifestation in a way that was not that was so obviously supernatural. Legion was able to lift up. He was he was stronger than ten men. He could break chains. It was obviously supernatural event, which on the outside you would not have you would have obviously seen this guy's possessed by a demon. But with this boy, his manifestation of this demon being in him is in the form of epilepsy. But we know that this is the result not just of a natural condition or a physical abnormality in him, because when the demon sees him, in verse 
in verse uh, 24, it's not verse 24, I'm having trouble looking for it. But when the demon sees Jesus and he's being brought to Jesus, it's at that point when he reacts violently. And we're told by the father that this father, that these seizures are not just some random circumstance, but it's with intentionality that this young boy is being, when he seizes up, is being thrown, as it were, and being stiff and rigid into fires, into waters to see him drown, trying to seek to destroy his life. And this is just a quick reminder, I think, of the necessity of faith, realizing what kind of world that we live in. The world that we live in is a dangerous world. We're all prone to death, disease, and dying. And yes, under the submission, willingly or unwillingly, to demonic forces which do roam this earth. Even Christians are told to take heed to the devil and not to take the power of evil lightly. When 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us, beware, resist him, the devil, be firm in your faith, knowing that he he prowls around, now I'm skipping around, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But apart from that aside, what we have here is in this discussion, the faithlessness of the scribes is shown. What's shown in the scribes is an absence of faith. And we have that with the rebuke that's leveled against them. When Jesus says, O faithless generation, verse 19, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus has already pronounced this condemnation on the Pharisees. They've shown themselves faithless. They've looked at the works of Jesus and they've sought to undermine it at every single opportunity. In this case, is no different. As they were spreading arguments last week that were seen trying to underline the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, here they've approached the group of disciples with Jesus is not with them, and they saw that he was they were unable to cast out a demon, and they used the opportunity. And when Jesus comes up, you know, so far their confrontations with Jesus haven't gone so well for them. So they actually probably took their wisest tact yet and just didn't say anything. But what Jesus shows is he says to them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? You know, sometimes we think about sin. We think about faithlessness. And we think, you know, Jesus... If he was with us, he would look at our lives and say, you know what? You're trying the best you can. You're sin. That's okay. You're, you're just human. Do you notice that's not what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He doesn't say, you know, you're just human. I get it. That's not that there's not an excuse 
for faithlessness in him. But Jesus is not only attacking and critiquing the faith of the, of the scribes, the religious experts. He's also critiquing the disciples. He's breaking up a fight. He found them in an argument. And once he learns the reason for the argument, that the disciples were unable to cast out a, this demon, this particular demon that's causing pain and destruction, He's looking at both of them, and he says to them, how long am I going to put up with this? We see here Jesus' frustration with sin, that he doesn't overlook it, that he doesn't treat it lightly, that he's dealt with the disciples time and time again, their faithlessness. And he's going to address them in the conversation at the end. But right now, he's just expressing his frustration with this faithlessness that's being expressed. And I am so thankful that Jesus' harsh words are paired with the entire gospel of Jesus being faithful, compassionate, patient with these group of this group of disciples that keep failing him, that keep sinning against him. That's pretty good news to me, especially if I look at my life and I look at my track record of faith and seeing the ebbs and flows in my life. Isn't it great news that the Lord Jesus Christ is faithful to us when we're faithless towards him? Not that that's something just God overlooks. That's not something slight. It is frustrating. And yet, God deals with us patiently. Well, that's the faith of the scribes. We'll see that the, the faith of the disciples is really weak. It's just a different kind of weak. But it's, it is it being expressed here as faithlessness. A faithlessness that marked the entire generation of Jews that will end up crucifying the Lord of glory. We see faith here, a type of faith, in this next scene, the faith of a father. And what we see in the faith of father is a weak faith. And it's a, what makes it weak is that it's true belief mixed with doubt. Let's read this response. Jesus, he says, I cannot believe that, you know, what is with this faithless generation? Bring the boy to me. Let me deal with it. Let me heal this boy and remove the power and dominion of sin over his life. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, that's the verse I was looking for, verse 20. Immediately it convulsed the boy and it fell, he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? We see that it's been happening since childhood. He explains his plight, and we, we kind of learn the whole reason why that father is there. He's there for the same reason why so many in the crowd are there. Going to Jesus, knowing that he has the power to heal, absolutely evident and absolutely clear to anyone who interacted with the Lord Jesus Christ. But upon coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is gone. 
But don't worry. The disciples have been given the authority of Jesus to heal. But they weren't able to. So so the father responds when he's finally with Jesus. In verse 22, he says, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help. And Jesus responds to this and says, if I can, or literally he repeats his exact word back, if you can, all things are possible to those who believe. You know, this is the exact opposite response to the one that we saw in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, at the very beginning of his ministry, he had a leper who came up to him and said, imploring Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Isn't that interesting that Mark is including this here? The problem of the guy before was not a questioning of Jesus's capabilities, but a questioning of Jesus's willingness, his compassion. Here, this man, this father, who's in a really desperate situation, isn't questioning Jesus's willingness. What he's questioning is Jesus's capability. You know, those two things are in completely different categories. We see this kind of faith questioning God's compassion throughout the Psalms, don't we? We read of the psalmist who's lamenting their situation being obstructed the view of God's goodness because they're in the midst of trial, because they see unbelievers who are successful in life while they are suffering, that it seems like worshiping God, their faith seems to be so weak because they can't see God's goodness in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. But you know what they don't doubt is God's capability, his ability to save. You know what the difference between these two things is? is one, is no faith at all. When you deny God's capability to save you, denying that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that there's salvation in no one else, denying Jesus' ability to save puts you outside of faith. That's why Jesus challenges it here. That's why Jesus challenges that phrase and says, if you can... All things are possible for one who believes. You know what? The faith that is weak, that is having trouble in the midst of darkness, in the midst of pain of this life, one that's having trouble seeing God's goodness, we're going to see that that's the kind of faith that is the faith of a mustard seed. Super small, but it's there. Knowing like the disciples have already said, Lord, if we leave you, whom to else shall we go? We have nowhere else to go to but to go to Christ. You see, there's a nature of faith that has this impulse. 
that has this impulse to trust in God, even when we don't have sight. This is not faith without evidence. This is faith that's spoken of in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, that we walk by faith and not by sight. For we know, and then it lists out how we know God created the heavens and the earth. We know all these different things, these different examples of men who have been faithful before, who've trusted in God. But it's faith in God's character in the midst of darkness. It's faith in God's capability that we have nowhere else in life to turn. And sometimes a desperate situation creates that, but how much better and wiser is it if we realize right now that God is our only hope in life and in death, belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus promises and provokes this out of this father that all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father responds, something that I can sympathize so much with. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, the father came, this father came to help his son. But now what he's asking for help with is his faith, his belief. You know, Jesus sometimes operates and heals someone because they display great faith. But that's not necessary. Jesus doesn't always do that. He healed many lepers, and some of them returned him to him to praise God, and others didn't. Not all the people in him he healed. And actually, it's not really correlated. Jesus' capability is not correlated to whatever degree of faith they have. You know, what makes all things possible for the one who believes is not the quality of our faith. It's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It's not our level of believing. It's not how mature of a believer we are. Do you know why weak faith can save? Do you know why weak faith is said to be able to move mountains? It's because of the person who we have faith in. And the person we run to, the thing that we're having faith in, is not an almighty power that we then pray to, reach out to in our faith, clinging on to. We reach out to a person who is more than capable of saving sinners, even the greatest of sinners. This father says, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, the nature of faith is not just that the power resides not in the quality, but in the object of faith. Also, the nature of faith is that in this life, it's always mixed with doubt. Are you hearing me? Faith, belief in this life is always mixed with doubt. It's mixed to some degree, in some more and some less, with some not at full apprehension. I think this is important because, you know, as Christians, we're constantly plagued by doubts, aren't we? Westminster chapter 14 of the Confession of Faith, I think helps. This in chapter 18. 
One is on chapter 14 is on the nature of saving faith, and chapter 18 is on the nature of assurance. And in chapter 14, it says, Faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, and may be, and in many ways, often assailed, weakened. But in the end, it gets the victory. And full assurance, even though it is plagued by doubts in life and is often assailed, full assurance is possible. Why? Why? How is it possible for this man who says, I believe, help my unbelief? It's because our assurance is not in our faith being strong. Our hope of heaven is not that I will remain faithful in the end by my own capabilities. Our faith can be fully assured that we belong to the Lord Jesus because we believe that Jesus is able to cling to us no matter what happens in life. Are you seeing the importance of faith? The Christian life is one that's walked by faith, 1 Corinthians 5 tells us. We walk by faith and not by sight. The disciples definitely needed to learn this lesson because there was coming a day when Jesus wouldn't be with them and needed to be prepared for this moment, a moment that we are constantly living in. And this father, he has his prayer answered. And he rebukes the unclean spirit. And notice that it's the, he calls it mute and deaf spirit or mute and dumb. He commands it to never enter into the boy again. See, the reason why the spirit's mute and deaf is not because the spirit couldn't hear or couldn't interact, couldn't talk. It's because of what it caused to the boy. And Jesus in his power is able to deliver him and Make sure that he'll never enter him again. Basically here, for all things are possible to the one who believes. And then Jesus has this conversation. The scribes, their faith was displayed and shown as faithless. The father was showed to have a weak faith that was mixed with doubt, but was true because in strong not in himself, in his faith, but in the object of his faith. And when we look at the disciples, the thing that we see is that their weak faith is a weak faith that needs to depend upon God. We learned the reason why they weren't able to cast out the demon. They asked him once they got in private. In public, they were embarrassed to ask this question about what's going on here. They just let Jesus defend them. You know, honestly, I'm, I can sympathize with that too. Especially if you have Jesus around. Just let him do the talking. Hey, we get ourselves often into trouble. But when he is in private, they finally address him. And they asked him in private, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. When has he talked about prayer? And for that matter, Jesus didn't pray. Jesus didn't say any prayer to cast out this demon. He gave it by a direct command. Why did the disciples have to pray? You know, this is speculation, but 
I think one thing we know for sure is that they didn't pray. They didn't go and ask for God and his assistance. You know what their weak faith was demonstrated in? They had that one moment in the past in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus said, I am giving you authority to cast out demons that heal people in my name. And their faith ended up being shifting. And you see this to not Jesus Christ and his delegated authority, but it shifted to themselves. The disciples had many occasions in which they were able to and saw people casting uh, demons leaving and being cast out by them simply speaking the word or touching them. And they were excited on that first mission and and they came back in chapter 7 of Mark. When they came back and reported Jesus what had happened, they were excited to tell them all the good and powerful things that happened through them. You know what they needed to learn? It's not about us. Whatever power it is that saves sinners, it doesn't come because you listen to, and I'm speaking probably about someone else here, an eloquent preacher. It's not about the quality of the songs that we can lure people in. It's not about giving how convincing of an argument that we can present to someone. The power that is saves doesn't rest in us. The power rests in God. You know what will make Evergreen successful? And by successful, I mean seeing believers mature in Christ. Seeing the lost found. Powhatan becoming, maybe even hopefully, more and more Christian. More and more Christian in the sense of we see people redeemed and live lives of redeemed sinners. How is that going to be possible? It's not because of our ingenuity. I'll tell you that. It's not because God has put his promises with us. Because you know what? In and of ourselves, we are weak. We are foolish. It's not going to be what we can do. It's going to be a wholesale reliance on the power of God to save sinners, to mature sinners, to build his church. And we do have the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church will go forth. It will be successful. But why? Because all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew actually clarifies this connection. It might be helpful to turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. The disciples are asking the same question. Matthew includes something else that they said. They asked Jesus, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move and from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. You know what faith is? We're not about to receive, by the way, a lesson that all things are possible to those who believe means that you can move your mountains. That... What Jesus is saying here and communicating that the faith even the size of a mustard seed does not result in just topographical changes in our environment. That's not the point. 
Jesus is speaking in hyperbole, if I can say that word. He's speaking in hyperbole when he declares that faith can remove trees and mountains. But the meaning amounts to this, that God will never forsake us if we keep the door open to receiving his grace. He doesn't mean that he will give us everything that we have with good intentions. If we're honest, we should be kind of happy about that too because we often ask for things that we can thank God later in life that he didn't give us. You see, when Jesus teaches here about prayer and this connection between faith and prayer, we have to remember how Jesus taught us to pray. And I'm thankful that we say it every week. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you notice that? Whose will are we to be praying to be done? Is it our will in every situation? You know, our prayers often look like Jesus' prayers in Gethsemane, which is if it is at all possible, could you remove this brutal death of crucifixion from before me? And he said, but not my will, but your will be done. You know what we do when we pray? And trusting in Christ, we pray knowing that God hears us. We pray that knowing that God is able to save us, that he's able to sanctify us, that he's able to remove, yes, our sickness, our cancer. He would even be able to resurrect a loved one. But our faith in him is not dependent upon the answer that he gives. Our faith in prayer shows that we have a trust and reliance in the God who's able to answer prayer. We pray for God's will to be done. And if he doesn't accomplish our will in a specific instance and answer our prayers exactly as we would have him answer us, we, having trust in him, we can trust the results to him. Knowing that, you know what, for whatever reason, God has suffering planned out in our life and is not removing it from us, we have the promise in Romans chapter 8 that it's for our good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That we get to have the privilege of praying in faith to our God, our Father. And what a blessed privilege that is. And that's a privilege that belongs to these disciples. And the model for this is a father. One who comes to God desperately looking for help. One that's mixed with doubt. Isn't that funny that that's the model of faith that we're held before us this morning? The, fa- the model of a desperate father running to him for help. Promising that if you believe, if you have just a little bit of belief, what God will do. His capabilities are not limited by our faith, but the benefits that we receive of eternal life, of growth and holiness, those things are directly connected to those who have faith in Him. That by faith alone, 
Faith alone is the instrument by which we grab on to the, in, to the promises of God and makes it real for us. This is why Jesus was so concerned to see this father embrace him in faith so that the benefits of eternal life would not just be known in this temporary life, but the benefits of eternal life would be made real in his life forever and ever. And he who began a good work in those disciples and in any disciple in this room, he will bring to completion in us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that what you've displayed here is the glory of the risen Christ. Even the pre-risen Christ who had all authority, who was able to save sinners, who trusted in him. And Lord, we're thankful. We confess that if it wasn't for your Holy Spirit working on our hearts, we would not see your goodness. If your Holy Spirit did not remove the blinders off our eyes, we'd be blind to seeing the goodness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask for those whose doubts is not in Jesus's compassion, but Jesus's willing uh, capabilities to save. I pray that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear the truth that Jesus Christ is able to save the uttermost of those who trust in him. Lord, and may you also in teaching about faith and the importance of it, may you help us to trust in you. May you grow our weak faith. May you nurture our weak faith. May you help us to rely on Jesus Christ and him alone. And that we would see that trust seen in very practical ways. That you would make us a praying church. One that, yeah, prays before the service, but also praying now, praying after, pray throughout our week, pray and entrust all the results of our life to you. Lord, we are so thankful for all you've done. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me.